0: Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Malouf, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well.
1: All right, my friends. Here we are back at Wednesday Wake Up. And tonight we're going to be talking about the Buddhist personality types, which I think is a fun little topic. Well, let's get us on the same page from the last few weeks. So the last few weeks we've been taking inspiration from a translation of a Dharma talk by Gil Fronsdal, which was focused on evaluating, skillfully evaluating our practice and what parts of our practice we should be evaluating. And so last week, the focus was how we evaluate whether or not our aspirations are in alignment with our practice. And what we meant by that is to be able to look and see if how we are asp- aspiring to practice is in alignment with with how our life is going in the moment, and if it's in alignment with our disposition. Are we overreaching? Are we undercommitting? And can we check in with ourselves and evaluate our practice to kind of see, hey, you know, if I'm the kind of person that likes to learn the Dharma in this way, say through books or Dharma talks, am I actually getting the Dharma in that way? Or if my life is really busy and I'm working two jobs, or I'm in school, or taking care of the kids? Am I aspiring to practice five hours a day in a context that's not really going to be supportive, where I'm going to feel let down? So we want to look at evaluating ourselves and evaluating our practice. And one of the things that Gil says in his Dharma talk is that we want to find a Dharma that suits who we are, right? We want to find a Dharma that suits who we are. And that made me think of the Buddhist personality types. And uh, because the Buddhist personality types, I'll tell you where they come from in a minute, but they're designed to help us inquire about what disposition we have as we're practicing the Dharma. And again, I like to call it who's showing up, what self is showing up, and this is totally in alignment with that idea. And so I'll tell you a little bit about where this uh, comes from. So we have the Pali Suttas, which are the oldest extant texts of Buddhism, the Pali Canon. And then we have the Vasudimaga. and the Vasudhi was written, we think, by a Theravada scholar, Buddhaghosa, and I believe that was in the 5th century, so long after the Buddha had been gone. And some Theravada traditions include his work called The Path of Purification, the Vasudimaga. They include that work right alongside the Pali Canon, and they just refer to it as the commentarial tradition. It's the commentaries on the suttas. So some Theravada practices or traditions kind of combine them and they use that as their primary source for the teachings. But then there's other lineages that look at the commentaries as sort of a caveat or a side note, and they don't necessarily consider them to be the foundational teachings. They think that the commentaries kind of go off a little bit further than what the Buddha intended. So no matter what your understanding of these two uh, traditions are or how you look at the texts, I think it's interesting to understand the Buddha's personality types because it can be helpful. It's designed as a tool for awakening, so I don't think you need to worry about whether or not it's in total alignment with this or that, or if it's the true teachings of the Buddha. I don't think we need to get distracted by that. But just so you know, historically, some traditions really do use these texts as a resource, and some do not. I like them because of the jhana teachings that are in them, so that's where I've learned the most from the Vasudhi Maga. Buddhagosa, when he talks about uh, personality types, it's in the context of trying to figure out what is the best meditation practice, or what is the best object of concentration for the meditator, right? So that's kind of the context for where this comes out of. And the idea is that Buddhagosa says we should really pick a meditation practice that suits our disposition, that suits the temperament of the student. And Buddhagosa comes up with These three temperaments that are actually based on the three causes of suffering or the three poisons, the three roots of suffering or the three poisons, which are, of course, craving, aversion and delusion. And what Buddhaghosa basically says is that no matter what's arising in the present moment, as human beings, we tend to have one primary orientation to how we react to the world. And the way we tend to react, now again, it's not absolute and it changes moment to moment or during times in our life, but generally speaking, we have an attitudinal orientation to our reactivity to the world, and it's usually one of the three roots of suffering. We have an orientation to the world that's through craving, we orient to the world with aversion, or we orient to the world through delusion. And these three personality types, there's two ways you'll see these in teachings. Sometimes people will say there's three personality types and sometimes they'll say there's six personality types. There's three positive and three negative. So craving aversion and delusion would have an opposite essentially. But I'm gonna just do it the kind of traditional way and say we've got these traditional personality types and they are used as tools And they can be skillful or unskillful, right? Depending on how we approach the world, craving might be a skillful orientation. Aversion might be a skillful disposition. It has positive and negative traits. It's our job to look at our disposition and cultivate the positive qualities and abandon the unskillful ones, just like we do with any other part of the path. So if we find the positive qualities, then we say, okay, there's positive qualities to me orienting to the world in a particular way. And there's some unskillful ones that get me into trouble. And I'm gonna try and let go of those and nourish the ones that are positive. So we're not using these labels to stereotype ourselves or box ourselves in. We're actually using these labels to create some leverage, to be able to look at ourselves and say, oh, look, you know, when I approach these certain circumstances, I tend to approach them with kind of a grasping mindset. Or we might say, you know, in these other circumstances, you know, I really tend to be aversive. I tend to approach these circumstances with a very aversive disposition. So I'm going to talk about these and you'll see kind of how humorous they are in one way and also how helpful they are in another as I clarify them for you. Let's take the three traits, uh, or the three personality temperaments, as they're called, and let me just give you kind of a basic definition of them, right? How we orient to the world. So the greedy orientation, and again, this is not meant to be slanderous or self-berating, right? This is not supposed to be self-deprecating in any way. The craving orientation, the greedy orientation, this kind of person tends to always look on the bright side. They tend to look at the positive or overemphasize the positive when they enter into a situation. And the challenge with that is they are reaching out and looking for the positive and they tend to overlook or deny the negative. So a craving disposition might get us into trouble depending on the circumstances. Another aspect of this craving or greedy disposition is also the fact that the craving mindset really likes sensuality, really enjoys pleasure, sense pleasures, and is always looking for that, right? Is out in the world kind of looking for the next thing to be entertained or to be stimulated by. And we all know just from the basic Dharma, why that becomes an issue. The other part of a craving orientation is that sometimes if we approach the world with a craving or greedy orientation, then when, because we're so accustomed to trying to look on the bright side, when something really challenging comes up, we have a harder time facing it because we've spent so much time orienting to the world by moving towards pleasure and that's our attitudinal orientation. And again, there's gray areas here and they're not absolute, it's just a leverage point to look at our disposition. And you'll see in a second how this plays out. So craving, obviously, is one. Now, some of us orient to the world with a more aversive orientation. And this is sometimes called an anger orientation or a hatred orientation. And again, like Buddhist language often seems much harsher than it's intended to be, right? Because in the Dharma, we're not labeling ourselves or condemning ourselves. We're just kind of stating the underlying qualities of this orientation. So... Anger is going to be here and the hatred spectrum is going to be here as well. But when you look at the qualities, they're actually pretty recognizable. Someone who approaches the world from an aversive standpoint tends to focus on what is wrong. It's the kind of person that walks into a situation and instead of immediately looking for what's working, they tend to automatically immediately look for what is wrong, what is out of place or what is broken or missing from the equation. It's just an orientation, right? It's not like they're a bad person for doing that. It's just that's how they show up naturally towards circumstances. So they tend to ignore the positive out the gate, right? Because this is your natural orientation to reaction. So out the gate, they tend to ignore the positive or they struggle to find the positive, right? Folks who have an aversive orientation struggle finding, struggle to label things that they're grateful for. Oftentimes when they do gratitude practice, they really have to dig because they tend to orient themselves to looking at the world of what towards what is out of place or what is incorrect or what is missing. Another aspect of this, and I know that we see this in ourselves, and I know that we all know someone like this as well. Another aspect of the aversive temperament is that sometimes an aversive oriented person will find a problem where other people don't see one. They'll turn something that everyone else thinks is okay and they'll say, no, but there's something wrong here, right? That's an aversive disposition from a Buddhist perspective. Now, sometimes we show up that way, right? There's a self that shows up and all we can see is what's going wrong. And sometimes we have a real deep disposition where we approach stuff in that way. Now, the third one is delusion because we have greed, hatred, and delusion or craving aversion and delusion. Delusion's an interesting one. I feel like in my experience of reading articles and having heard Dharma talks on this subject, I always find this disposition disposition to be the least clear in my mind. But I'm going to tell you how I think it is supposed to be translated. And I'm going to give you some quotes and you'll be able to see a little bit from the texts themselves. So a deluded orientation is a person that tends to be indecisive and ambivalent or sometimes confused by what's going on. So when this person shows up, they tend to look to others to find out whether they should like something or dislike something because they're not quite certain how they feel. So there's a sense of confusion and a sense of ambivalence and uncertainty. So when they approach a situation, one person might see the positive, another one sees the negative, the third person doesn't know what to think. They're like, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. So that's the deluded mind. Somewhere in between the craving orientation and the aversion orientation is this other orientation, which is somewhere in between. It's sort of ambivalent, it's uncertain, it's hesitant. And that kind of person tends to rely on others to orient them to how to react to circumstances. Now, again, this is just a fabricated framework, so it's not like absolute... (laughs) I promise you there's no, uh, well, I don't promise, but I'm pretty certain there's no like scientific studies on this. It's just just a way of looking at your behaviors and seeing if we can leverage them for some positivity. Now, Buddhagosa says, okay, given those orientations, there are natural Buddhist practices that you would use for those personality types that help you to get oriented to the Dharma. So if you think about it, If greed and craving is the way you approach the world naturally, then Buddhaghosa says then your practices should be focused on generosity and non-attachment. Because you're heavy on the craving side. You tend to really like sensual pleasures. You really like being entertained. You don't like being bored. So what you need to do is focus on generosity, which is of course a form of letting go, And focusing on non-attachment, if that's a disposition, then those practices are going to be the most powerful and are going to ground you most quickly in the experience of the Dharma. Now, similarly, and this makes sense, if you have an aversive disposition towards the world, which includes like anger, irritability, uh, finding fault with stuff too quickly, then you want to focus on forgiveness and compassion. Because forgiveness practice will allow you to let go of some of that perfectionism, some of that attitudinal orientation that says there's something wrong. It leans in towards being more accepting, right? So if you have an aversive orientation, Buddhaghosa says it's natural to start with forgiveness practices and compassion practices. Now for the deluded mind, When we see a deluded mind, we're seeing a mind that is unclear, right? It lacks some grounding. And all of us wake up some days fully immersed in the deluded mind, right? Sometimes we wake up and we don't know if we're coming or going, we feel upside down, the world seems confusing, we don't know who we are or what the world, everything just seems to be topsy-turvy. This is not a personality solidity, right? It's an orientation and a tendency. So every one of us wakes up in the morning sometimes and takes one step into the world And we are in the deluded orientation. So just keep that in mind. So the deluded mind is going to focus on mindfulness and concentration. The deluded mind doesn't really see the good, doesn't really see the negative, and is somewhere in between. So increasing samadhi, getting a clarity to get in touch with craving and aversion would be that necessity. So you can see it's not so abstract if you're leaning towards craving, generosity, and non-attachment. If you're leaning towards aversion, then maybe some forgiveness and compassion practice might be in order. And if you're feeling kind of lost and you can't get in touch with the aversion, or you don't have an acute awareness to get in touch with the pleasure, well, then your mindfulness is dull and you need to focus on mindfulness and samadhi. Some concentration practices would be really good in that case. So what we see here is that there's this movement from craving aversion to delusion, from craving aversion into delusion. And so we're not going to use this to look at people in our life and say, oh, that person's totally a deluded mind, or that person, my dad is totally a this mind, and my ex-lover is this, you know, we're not using this to like label people and stereotype people. We don't want to go that direction. I know the mind does this because it's easier to label other people than it is to look at ourselves. So we're like, you know, I'm not sure what what I am, but I'll tell you, my wife is totally this one. Like that's like, takes a hot minute to figure out who your best friend is. But, you know, we want to keep it to ourselves, you know, not that this isn't helpful. I also going to say this, not that it isn't helpful. When you're with somebody and you know they have a particular orientation, that also tells you how to be with them, right? It also tells you how to be skillful with another person. We all know what it's like to have either ourselves or a friend who really likes to be entertained, gets bored easily, is going after the next distraction. And so we skillfully engage that person in a particular way. And we all know what it's like to be with someone who finds fault immediately with the food and when they're in a restaurant or the temperature's not good or you know something pissed them off at work and they have to spend a lot of time venting. We, we know that these are human dispositions. Buddha did not make these up, right? He was hanging out with humans. We know what humans are like. So we can acknowledge that there is this kind of orientation for folks. So let's go a little deeper. I wanna get clearer on what these orientations really look like and I found this great article from Sharon Salzberg. And she writes a little paragraph on each of the personality types. And then she quotes the Vasudhi manga. So I, I thought this was perfect for this evening. So I will put the link to the article in the show notes, but the article is just simply called the three personality types of Buddhist psychology. So the first type is the craving and greedy type. And this is what she has to say. This doesn't at all mean you are a greedy person. This type is described as the kind of person who walks into a room and her eye falls on what she likes, what she finds lovely or desirable, while she overlooks what may be worn away, damaged, or falling apart. This is the person in the meeting when a dilemma is presented, who will say, don't worry, it'll all work out while you're still sitting there thinking, how is it going to work out? So what we see with greed, it's not greed is like covetousness. It's greed in that we're oriented towards sense pleasures, right? That's how the Buddha uses this sense of greed. It's the person who's going to possibly overlook the negative and look on the bright side. Now, the actual Buddhist text says this, which is really interesting, that a greedy type will seize on trivial virtues, discount genuine faults, and when departing, they do so with regret, as if unwilling to leave. They seize on trivial virtues, they discount genuine faults, and when departing, they do so with regret, as if unwilling to leave. That last part refers to clinging. When they leave, they have a sense of regret because they're grasping after the moment. They don't want to leave the moment. So there's a sense of not wanting to depart from the present moment reality. Now, as I said before, there are positive qualities to these orientations. And what Sharon reminds us is that the positive qualities for this orientation is that the person has a willingness to draw near to the heart all aspects of life, to experience life more fully without holding back or hiding. So a craving orientation is also folks that really want to live fully. They really want to taste life. They want to engage in activities. They have a lot of hobbies and interests, and they jump into the world without looking at the negative, right? They just jump full force into the world. So what we see is like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? You, you can have a craving orientation in a way that's celebratory, right? You might be the person in the room where people are really down and can't see the bright side, In that moment, you might be the person that helps them to celebrate. You might be the person that helps them to distract themselves in a healthy way from being depressed, and you might take them out for food or take them out for coffee or send them a little gift. So the positive part of this is that you're willing to really dive into the pleasures of life in a positive way and to really want to experience life fully. So that's the skillful quality of that orientation. The second type, as we said, is the aversive type. And this is how Sharon describes this one. She says, this type of person is described as one who goes into a room and her eye falls upon what is displeasing to her. Right away, she will notice the burn mark in the carpet or the indisgruntled expression on a colleague's face. This is the type of person who in a meeting, when an opportunity is presented and her first comment will be a hasty, it won't work. You might be sitting there thinking, why not? Why won't it work? Again, we see that aversion is just this natural tendency for the mind to see the negative side of things. It's not like you're a bad person. It's just sometimes your mind is going to look at what's wrong rather than what's positive and that's the orientation out the gate. And again, we're looking at ourselves or looking for moments when this self arises so then we can use the appropriate practice to counterbalance the negativity or cultivate and encourage the positive side of this disposition. So this is the textual quote. This person will pick out trivial faults, will discount genuine virtues, and when departing, they do so without regret as if anxious to leave. The aversive person pushes away, right? It's the aversive disposition, they push away. So where the craving orientation discounts the negative, the aversive position discounts the positive, right? It's just the general orientation. Now, any one of us can wake up one day with the flu and immediately walk into the world with an aversive disposition and everything's going to immediately be crappy for ourselves, right? That's an example of the impermanent nature of these orientations, right? And you wake up the next day, you're feeling better, and all of a sudden, those text messages and those Instagram posts do not seem as harsh or offensive. Okay. The positive qualities of aversion that tendency to mainly see what's wrong also contains an aspect of not staying on a superficial level of perception, but being ready to look deeper than many others are inclined to, and be willing to honestly recognize what is unpleasant or unwelcome. For those of us who are oriented towards pleasure, the aversive orientation can be illuminating because the aversive orientation doesn't deny the negative, right? It's willing to say, Hey, there's some dukkha here. What you'll notice with Dharma practitioners is folks who have too much on the craving side will struggle to maintain a practice because they get pleasure a lot out of the material world and have a harder time seeing its negative counterpart. Where if you're coming towards the Dharma and you already can really taste the dukkha of the world, it's much easier to get on the, on the cushion and get motivated to practice because you have that sting of suffering already in you. It's often said that folks who've experienced real distress and stressful lives tend to jump into practice and get a lot of benefit from the Dharma and can really see clearly the first noble truth. So if you have that orientation, the Dharma is easier in the beginning because you already taste that first noble truth and no one has to convince you that life is hard. You don't have to Where people who have a craving orientation often look at the first noble truth as being negative or pessimistic. So if they orient themselves towards pleasure, that means, When they see that first noble truth, they're kind of like, well, that's kind of depressing. I don't know about this. They they kind of have a response to it that isn't that positive. So you can see that the way you orient changes the way you engage the Dharma. And it also allows you to initiate appropriate practices that will immediately counteract or cultivate whatever disposition is arising in the moment. So again, this is all about ending our suffering. It's just a tool. So I'm going to give you the third one. The third type, and this is uh, Sharon's quote. She says, the deluded type, and then she says in parentheses, my type emphatically, is somewhat muddled or spaced out. If something goes wrong, the great temptation is to take a nap or tune it out. If something is wonderful, it might not be fully taken in. This type tends to be mellow, but without a lot of acuity of perception unless trained to clarify and refine the attention. This is somewhat muddled or spaced out. If something goes wrong, the great temptation is to take a nap or tune it out. If something is wonderful, it might not be taken in fully. This type tends to be mellow, but without a lot of acuity of perception, unless it's trained to clarify and refine attention. So again, this personality type, the encouragement from Buddha Gosa, is increase your mindfulness so you can taste the dukkha and taste the pleasure more clearly. What you're basically doing, if you have that diluted orientation arise, is you want to get your discernment up. You want to get clarity of vision. And when you're diluted, not so much discernment. Mindfulness is kind of vague. Everyone, at least one time in every sit, for the most part, is going to have that diluted mind where mindfulness is not clear, discernment is not accessible, and you neither feel pleasure in the meditation nor unpleasant. Like it's just kind of this free fall, right? That's the diluted mind. That's in fact what sometimes teachers call diluted consciousness or diluted concentration. Is where the mind is like neither here nor there. There's not acuity of perception, so you have to ramp it up. That's when you have to energize the practice, take some deep breaths right? Three deep breaths, some long, slow breaths. You want to get that energy moving in the body so that diluted orientation will subside and you can start to taste one of the other orientations. So here's what the text says about this third type. When one of diluted temperant sees any sort of visible object, they copy what others do. If they hear others criticizing, they criticize. If they hear others praising, they praise. But actually, they feel equanimity in themselves. It is the equanimity of unknowing. The equanimity of unknowing. This is really important because sometimes a deluded mind is mistaken for equanimity. Right? Equanimity is a wisdom quality. Equanimity comes from clear discernment. The absence of the equanimity is a deluded mind state. But sometimes we can mistake a feeling of peace and ease that arises from not having any grounding anywhere, kind of a free fall of awareness for being equanimity. And I've talked about that before in other talks on equanimity, that we can mistake this deluded mind for an equanimous mind. And that's exactly what Buddhaghosa is hitting on here. This is what Sharon says about the positive quality of this deluded, (laughs) just sounds so harsh, deluded mindset. This is the type who in a meeting will be to, will be slow to process the dilemma or opportunity and not quite sure right away how they feel about it. In the purified form, delusion becomes true equanimity, not based on missing the fine details or being in a cocoon of withdrawal from engagement with life, but a full on sense of balance that is combined with clear and precise attention. So again, The opposite of this is the good equanimity, right? The equanimity that comes from clarity of mind and discernment, which is why the antidote to the diluted orientation is to increase mindfulness and discernment so you can actually bring it online. So that's the basics of these personality types. And again, it's not not like an astrological sign, you know, I'm not asking you to do any kind of fortune telling (laughs) around this stuff. But what I am encouraging you to do, as I've said in the past, is when you're asking yourself who is showing up, you can quickly ask yourself, is there an aversive orientation? Is it a craving orientation? Or is it a diluted orientation? It's a really quick way of seeing what's present in consciousness. And you can immediately then know, okay, boom, I can switch to some gratitude practice in this moment. I can switch to some forgiveness, or I can switch to uh, some body part meditation if I'm really lost in lust. And So you can see quickly, moment to moment, when you're asking yourself, in this moment where is the struggle and the suffering and what is the skillful means you can immediately fall back on the personality orientations and ask yourself okay let me just get oriented here with craving aversion and delusion that's how you use it as a tool or you can have drinks with a friend and find out what personality types you all are (laughs) that's the other way you can turn it into a drinking game as well (laughs) if if that suits your need Okay. I wanted to read some of these interesting ways that Buddha talks about dispositions. And so in the actual texts, Buddha says that when you're trying to figure out what kind of personality type you are, it helps to look at different ways that you show up in the world. And these are the, some of the things I think are really interesting, both in a humorous way and, and in a helpful way. He says, you can look at your posture, your eating habits, your actions, and your moods. He encourages monks to look how they wear their robes, how they sweep the floor, how they make the bed, how they walk and eat or sweep the path. And what he's pointing out here, and I'll elaborate in a moment, is that these dispositions affect us all across our small habits, all the ways that we show up moment to moment, some of these dispositions are coming and arising and passing away and we do things in a particular way depending on the circumstance and that's where that's why i wanted to offer this talk tonight because when gil fronsdal says hey let's find a dharma that suits your disposition this is one way of doing that it's a really healthy way of orienting so this is kind of cute so i want i want you to hear what he says so he describes a food temperament and he says The greedy orientation likes rich, sweet food, eats unhurriedly, savoring the various tastes and enjoys gourmet treats. I think all of us have shown up that way at least one time or another. Now, the aversive orientation likes sour tastes, eats in a rushed fashion and can often be critical of the food. Maybe we show up that way. What's interesting for me is I like sour foods and, well, you know, I actually eat in a hurried, you know, I have an aversion, I have an aversive food temperament, I think. (laughs) Wow. I just realized that, but I'm not critical. I'm very accepting of the food, but I eat in a hurried way usually. And I do like some, Hmm, I have to think about that one. Okay. The diluted one, of course, doesn't know and doesn't have a very subtle preference for food choices. So that's the diluted one. Now. The posture temperament, he says, the greedy orientation holds their body with confidence and a sense of gracefulness. The aversive posture tends to be contracted and rigid. And The diluted posture tends to be haphazard, meaning they don't really care how they hold their body because they're just kind of undecided on how they're sitting or how they're moving in the world. This is funny, but think about it in a, in a real way. The posture is one of the first foundations of mindfulness, right? The posture, how we feel and how we show up. When we're sad, we tend to be hunched over. When we're tense, we tend to hunch our shoulders. When we're sitting in meditation, we're sitting upright, right? We're trying to get this noble, erect posture with our head upright, with our back straight to create a sense of ardency and alertness. So what he's saying is, hey, when you show up, what does your posture feel like in this moment? Is there an aversive orientation? Is there a craving orientation? Like for me, if I have to be honest, I am a diluted orientation when it comes to posture. I, I throw myself into a chair, even if I'm uncomfortable, I'll stay there until my foot falls asleep. Like I really need more of the greedy posture to pay more attention. Cause I have had so many bouts of carpal tunnel because I don't pay attention to how I'm sitting, how I'm sitting. So. This is not just in general, but just we're asking ourselves, how am I showing up in posture when I'm eating food? How am I showing up with my attitude towards my meals? Like this could be serious insight if you think about it. Here's another cute one that I I really like. There's a sleeping temperament, like how we basically lie down in bed. So before I tell you what they are, I want you to think to yourself when you get ready for bed and you lay down, how do you do it? Like, what is your routine? What is your ritual when you lay down in bed? I just want you to call that to your mind on how you lay down in bed, your, your sleeping temperament, and then I'm going to tell you what it means, okay? This is what it looks like. Uh, Buddha says this, the greedy temperament. When they sit or they lie down to go to sleep, one of greedy temperament spreads their bed unhurriedly, lies down slowly, composing their limbs, And they sleep in a confident manner when woken instead of getting up quickly they give their answers slowly as though doubtful so that's a greedy temperament towards laying down in bed and waking up now the opposite or the other version of this i shouldn't say opposite because it's not really opposite but aversion okay one of angry or aversive temperament spreads their bed hastily with their body flung down they sleep with a scowl. <laughs> when woken, they get up quickly and answer as though annoyed. So that's the aversive one. Now, of course, I've woken up both I've woken up before slowly and mindful, and I'll lay in bed and do loving kindness, I'll do some attitudinal work before I get out of bed. And then there's sometimes I'm pressing my alarm clock and I'm getting angry and I feel like my calendar is assaulting me. So it could be either way. Now, the deluded one, of course, he says this. One of deluded temperament spreads their bed all awry and sleeps mostly face downward with their bodies sprawling. <laughs> when woken, they get up slowly saying, huh? <laughs> that's, that's the deluded version. <laughs> So as you can see, this is not science, all right? This is not rocket science. This is an attempt 1,600 years ago to try and find a way of bringing mindfulness to our disposition, right? This is a way of bringing mindfulness to our habits and towards our orientations. And what Buddhaghosa is really doing here is he's trying to say, again, the context for this was what kind of meditation should I do? So he was trying to figure out a way of saying, okay, if greed, hatred, and delusion or craving, aversion, and delusion are the three poisons the Buddha talks about, wouldn't it make sense that moment to moment, one of those orientations is always going to be at play in some form of another? And doesn't it make sense that either dispositionally or in a certain type of moment or context, one of those we see arises? Like we know that when we're in a certain circumstance, we tend to be more aversive and When we're in another circumstance, we tend to be more uh, graspy or whatever the case may be. Like when I think of myself, I'm not really a foodie. Like I don't have, I don't think my taste buds are that refined. So like I don't really have a craving disposition when it comes to food. I can eat fast food or bad. I just, I'm not very refined when it comes to that. But other things in my life, very much a craving disposition. I have an acute awareness of the subtlety of something, and I want the best of that thing. And I can tell the difference for myself, what I like and what I don't like. So we can look at certain aspects of how we show up, and then we can say, okay, what's arising here? Like, for example, the sleeping one. I was saying it facetiously, and there's a little bit of humor, obviously, in it. But if you think about it, when I read that, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's some days where I wake up and I throw my sheets onto the bed and kind of shove the comforter up and I make a space for my cat and I kind of bolt and it's completely messy. There's no mindfulness. There's no discernment. I'm completely in a deluded mindset. I'm not caring in any way. And then there's other times where I approach it with a craving mindset and where a mood arises and I like tuck in the sheet and I put the little stuffed animals that I have on there and I put an extra blanket on the bed for the meow. And that's a craving mindset And if I were to look at both of those moods and ask myself who's showing up, that could be a moment of wisdom, like who's showing up to make the bed? What is my grasping? What is my clinging? I also notice with myself that a bed that's made makes me feel relaxed and comforted and in control. I love coming home and walking into my bedroom and have the bed made and being totally neat. There's something about it that I feel restful. But if I come home and the previous self was diluted and threw the comforter all over the place or didn't even make the bed, there's a sense of aversion. An aversive aversive self tends to arise and there's a moment of stress. So these are just opportunities, you know, for mindfulness. It's just opportunities for wakefulness and a part of our life to ask ourselves, you know, who's who's showing up here? And we don't, you know, just to speak for a second before we close today, about the shadow side of this, right? none of us fit into any one of these categories. Absolutely. You know, I hope, I hope that's obvious, right? It's different categories arising and passing though. We might have in, I know that in general, I approach the world from an aversive perspective. I tend to look at things. I tend to first look at what's wrong. I tend to whine about things and complain. That's my disposition. The good part about that is I can take that detail and Create a good dharma talk and look at really good details of things. But if you're my wife, (laughs) and I am always looking, I'm always anxious and looking for what's going to be catastrophic. Not so great. Not so great in those moments. So I know I've got that disposition. I'm aversive. I just I know it to my core that I I came out that way, and that's my that's my disposition. The thing is, we don't want to over identify with these causes of suffering, right? We don't want to create. A self that's solid and unchanging right we don't want to start judging ourselves like oh I'm so aversive why can't I be better why can't I be more like that person over there so we don't want to create a solid self around any of this we also want to remind ourselves that these categories or dispositions are doorways to feeling good about ourselves right Like we can laugh and say, oh my God, I'm so craving right now. I'm just being clingy and grasping and I'm totally obsessive over something. And we can just laugh. It's like, oh, look, that self arose and I'm just being greedy. I'm just totally being greedy right now. And then other times we can look at ourselves and be like, oh my God, I just, I'm so tired of hearing myself complain about this thing. And we can have a sense of humor about it, right? We can be... You know, enlivened with this stuff. We don't have to take it too seriously. So I would invite you to see if this works for you just in noticing the types of temperaments that arise and pass as you're trying to give an opportunity for the Dharma to suit you moment to moment. Remember, this is about evaluating practice by evaluating self and asking, hey, in this moment, what's going to suit me? If this is the temperament that shows up, what would be the most skillful way to be mindful in this moment? So I hope you can have some fun with that. I um it's pretty funny. I will put the I'll put two articles in the show notes for the podcast. One is from Sharon Salzberg and another was from another Dharma teacher, and she puts in the article like a little personality quiz based on Buddhism. So you know how you you know how you pick like up a magazine, or it used to be in magazines. Nowadays you kind of see like in Reddit and places like that, where they ask you like a series of questions to find out what Harry Potter character you are, or what game of Thrones, you know, person you are or something like that. So she created a Buddhist personality profiling quiz that you can take to see what personality you are. And the Huffington post picked it up. And so they picked it up and it had the quiz like in, in the Huffington post. So I found it and I'm going to include it in the, podcast show notes if you want to just take a look it's really amusing Uh, so you can see officially what your diagnosis is as far as buddhist dispositions all right my friends i hope that was a little fun i enjoyed it i enjoyed the looking it up i've never really talked about that i don't talk about that stuff too much but it can be helpful it can be helpful we are right on time this evening thank you so much for joining us again in sangha i really appreciate your time and your kindness and generosity of spirit so Much love to you all for for showing up once again to Wednesday Wake Up. Why don't we, for those who have to go, be safe, be well. For those who can stay, let's uh, finish off with a few minutes of Meta because we are right on time this evening. Let us just do a gentle evaluation. What is your orientation towards this moment? Craving, aversion, delusion. Really take a minute to bring some mindfulness to how your heart and mind are orienting toward this present moment experience. Who is showing up to practice metta? Let us take a few intentional breaths. Find a type of breathing that brings some ease and well-being to your body. Breathe in a way that feels enlivening, relaxing, and puts you at ease. See if there's enough discernment to notice the pleasure of the breath. see if you can bring some awareness to pleasurable sensations in the body finding some tingling some energy some part of the body that feels relaxed and at ease and just bring awareness there and rest there with a sense of comfort If you're not feeling the sensations, if more of the deluded mind has arisen, you might just reflect on something that's going well, something that makes you smile, and bring that energy into the moment, and rest awareness there. Attune to that pleasure that tranquility. Let us conclude this evening by asking us this question. In this moment, if I could wish anything for all beings and know that wish would come to pass, what would that wish be? allow that aspiration to flow from this heart to all being. May you be well, my friends. I will see you next week.
0: Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge, so this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.WednesdayWakeUp.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.